This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. For two new years now, the media has been focusing on the investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. However, another very serious breach, which got less attention, has to do with Russian attempts to hack into the U.S. electric grid, one of the most crucial parts of American infrastructure. Starting in 2016, U.S. intelligence found evidence of foreign attempts to hack into utilities. The perpetrators planted malware on online publications they knew that utility employees read, as well as emailing resumes with tainted attachments to get into secured systems. Last year, the U.S. officials publicly blamed Russia's government for this cyber attack, which exposed a significant problem with the electric grid. The U.S. is now looking at more severe penalties against outside entities who try and breach our power system. The Wall Street Journal put together uh, how the Russians were able to do all of this in a new investigative piece. Rebecca Smith, energy reporter for the Wall Street Journal, is uh, covering this story, and she joins us right now. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. It's great to join you, Dan. Thank you. So I guess let's let's go back a little bit uh, to 2016 and how the genesis of this information was really starting to uh, to pop up on uh, a lot of people's radars. Well, of course, in the early period, I think the only people who knew were probably those working for the government or perhaps some of the utility companies. So, uh, so far as we know, at some point, the utilities became aware of these attempted breaches and went to the federal government. They have a close relationship with the Department of Homeland Security and, of course, the FBI. So the investigation on the government's part began at that high level, and then they worked their way backward trying to figure out how the Russians had gotten in. And and I think the idea of of an attack on the electric grid has been something that has been on the minds of people in this sector, but now it's really coming to the forefront? Well, I think it's something people have been afraid of for a long time. And in fact, in this case, it's very likely that the Russian group that was behind this latest attack also was the same one that was active in the 2014-2015 time period. There was an earlier um, campaign by a group, we'll just call them Dragonfly, because that's the name they're often given, right. uh, uh, trying to, to do corporate espionage in the utility and energy sector. And in that earlier case, they were trying to get inside companies. They were trying to plant malware, if they could, that would allow them to spy Uh, But they weren't, so far as we know, actually trying to get directly inside uh, control systems to the extent they did in this latest effort. Now, this hack that you're reporting on uh, involves Russia, but uh, you note that other countries have been involved in this type of work as well. I think when you talk to intelligence folks, they generally say that the countries they're most worried about are China, Russia, uh, North Korea, and Iran. So those four are known to have been, uh, you know, at various times have taken a run at energy companies, and there may be others as well. And and let's dig into uh, one of the stories you relate uh, in in your uh, piece that you did. And and it's obviously the companies that are the uh, that are the focus here. But you note that really the, the focus should be on the contractors that are working with a lot of these utilities. 
Well, this is the thing we found extremely interesting was rather than try to penetrate the defenses of the utilities directly, which would be difficult, and they, by the way, have spent a tremendous amount of money, probably billions of dollars in the last few years, trying to boost their cyber defenses. So rather than hit the utilities head on, they said, we'll look for the soft underbelly, and that's the contractor and supplier network. So they started at very, very low level with small companies that maybe only have a dozen or two dozen employees. That these are, and of course, utilities employ tens of thousands of small contractors. Yeah. Uh, so they would, you know, go in, attack those companies, and try to work their way up the supply chain. It's actually a very ingenious method. Yeah, and I, I, I see it here in Philadelphia because the utilities, and I'll use Philadelphia here as an example, there's so much work at times that they need to employ these outside companies to get some of it done. Well, and in fact, they're proud. I mean, if you go to most uh, utility websites, you'll find somewhere discussion, sometimes even lists, which is not terribly smart, but of all of the small companies that they employ in their territories, because they're very proud of putting that money back to work in their communities. So knowing that these contractors are targets, what is being done now to try and alleviate this this hole in the system if they can? Well, starting in October 20, and again, most of this campaign we're talking about is 2017, and then it gets into 2018. Um, Starting at the end of 2017, and then also earlier last year, the government has tried, well, for one thing, they identify the Russians as the culprits, which is something they're normally loath to do. Right. Um, And then they also have been doing briefings with industry, you know, trying to alert people to this menace. But honestly, the methods that the Russians used are ones that I don't think any small company will ever have a defense against. I mean, if you get an email from somebody you do business with. Yeah. And they say, here, click on this. Here's a document, you know, a contract or something. Most people are going to click on it because yeah. it's coming from somebody they know. And and that's one thing we didn't actually mention is that the Russians would pose. They would take over email accounts of people and then pose as those people and send out emails to trusted contacts. So people's defenses are down, you know, and, and they're not that high to begin with at these small companies, right? They're just right. trying to get a job done. Right. You mentioned about the email side of this, but there is also uh, the the publication side, which we mentioned yeah. at the top, is the fact that there was some sort uh, some level of infiltration within a lot of these publications in which people that work in the energy sector would be going to on a on, maybe on a daily basis. Yes, and Dan, I found this part really stunning. Because someone would go to a website of an online trade publication, and these are publications that are aimed at utility engineers and technical people. You know, they'd go there to check, see what's happening in their industry. Just by opening that page, there was the ability the Russians had to download or to basically infiltrate that person's computer, and that person would have no idea. Basically, their computer was doing what they call a handshake with the website, and inadvertently they're transferring some of their login information. Right. The the contractors that you mention in here, some of these companies don't have the resources to be able to put up the type of defenses that we may be we may be talking about here, correct? Absolutely right. I mean, you know, again, these are small companies. These are companies that um, you know, dig uh, trenching for utilities so they can lay conduit. These are companies that move, you know, some of these were earth-moving companies, construction companies. They're just trying to 
make a living. You know, they're hoping to get a contract here and there and keep their people employed. They don't typically they would have somebody in the office who would be responsible for keeping the computers running and occasionally running some antivirus software, stuff like that. This is not sophisticated stuff. We're joined by Rebecca Smith of the Wall Street Journal, who's covering the story uh, on the U.S. electric grid and attempts to hack into that by uh, Russian uh, organizations and uh, potentially other countries as well. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. Do we know how many utilities were impacted by this and to what extent? We don't. And the government, this is this was actually one of the hardest stories I've ever worked on because you get essentially zero cooperation from the federal government that yeah. has the most information. And you get zero cooperation from the utilities because they don't want to talk about this topic. So we don't know how many. In the story, we say that we are confident that at least 60 utilities were targeted, at least two dozen were breached, and of those two dozen, at least eight were, had penetration that went actually into their SCADA or their industrial control systems. And these are the systems that control you know, uh, breakers and switches and things like that that affect electricity flows. And again, going back to something uh, we mentioned before, the concern is uh, of an entity getting into the system and being able to have the impact of uh, a significant shutdown to our power grid, whether it be here in Philadelphia, New York, L.A., Chicago, that would have a significant impact on millions and millions of people at one particular point in time. Well, so one caveat I want to offer here, and that's that as far as we know, the penetration would have been of individual utilities. Now, when we're talking about the grid, the grid is actually a collection of many utility systems, right? Right. right. And in the U.S., we have three grids. We have one in Texas, one in the west, and one in the east. So in order to cause a catastrophic failure, you would have to successfully penetrate, it's most likely, many companies – um, of course, there are freak events. I mean, we all, many of us remember the 2003, the big uh, blackout in the Northeast. Yep. Yeah. Right. That happened. And that started from a, a problem with a power line and trees coming into contact in Ohio. And that thing propagated and took down the whole East, most of the, well, it took down parts of the Eastern grid and, and 50 million people lost power. So sometimes major events have small sources of origin. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, in general, I think it's more likely that the Russians could cause localized outages, but not a national failure. So then if the targeting was of individual utilities, and again, this may be something that is kind of in the unknown, because as you said, it was it was very hard to try and gain information. This seemingly then becomes, I think, an issue at the state level in terms of the government dealing with those utilities and the policy that they want to put in place to try and prevent this moving forward. That's exactly right. Now, this is kind of an interesting nuance, at least to me, because I, you know, I've spent a lot of time studying this. But the federal government controls the big uh, transmission lines. These are the ones that cross state lines. Right. But states control the little distribution systems of utilities that are within their boundaries. Um, And the states basically, until recently, have done almost nothing on cybersecurity. They've deferred to the federal government, but the federal government is only looking at the biggest parts of the bulk electric system. So this is another thing that this is just a hunch on my part. 
And that said, if I were an adversary, if I were the Russian, I would be going after the distribution system because it's poorly protected. Now, you also did a, a piece a few months ago looking at uh, trying to improve upgrade the penalties that could potentially uh, be involved here. What is exactly going on in, in that realm right now? I think it's still a lot of discussion. The thought was that the U.S. shouldn't just sit by passively and allow foreign governments to try to take down our critical infrastructure, that there should be some retaliation or response. Um, so, of course, that's something that would be decided at the highest levels. And the utilities have stayed out of that fight. You know, they yeah. say that's, you know, that's not our, our job. Someone in the federal government has to decide. And again, so much of this information is held within the intelligence agencies, and it doesn't come out so that the American public never really knows uh, what's been happening behind the scenes. We are seeing, I guess, some uh, uh, charges being brought forth against uh, some foreign nationals yeah. where some of these issues are concerned. But again, as one of the things we've noted uh, and seen here in the last couple of years is that you can bring charges forward, but it's very hard to bring to really push anything forward because these people are being protected potentially by their government and they may very well never leave their country. Exactly. I mean, the first case of that was a few years back, uh, the government brought a case against Chinese military officers uh, and they were charged with basically corporate espionage and other, you know, trying to extract information. Of course, they'll never stand trial. Yeah. Uh, more recently in the Russian election hacking case, there have been charges brought. Where, where this becomes interesting is occasionally people, you know, if you're in, I guess, cold Russia and you want to get out and go to a warmer part of Europe, sometimes people <laughs> get nabbed in airports. Right. Um, but yeah, you're right. In general, they're never going to be uh, in front of a judge and jury. What's, what I think is interesting and, and it's something that I think everybody has talked about in this digital culture that we live in. But again, it's something that continually needs repeating is that for these companies, they do need to be aware of their security. And it could go all the way down to being as simple as making sure you change your passwords on your email accounts on a frequent enough basis. Well, the other thing is that most of these cases where they got inside these contracting companies there was no, they didn't have two-factor authentication. Okay. So that's a very simple thing that companies can do. I mean, all of us should be doing two-factor authentication on our various accounts. Um, but that would help at least. And and the investment of that, I don't think, is is a significant one for companies to to be able to move forward with that. No, I think that people don't like it because there's a hassle factor. And the same thing with long passwords. People don't like that because it's a hassle. Right. Is there, as much as you can tell from this, is there a heightened need or interest by the utility companies? Right, maybe, maybe the best way to say is, are they putting this at the top or close to the top of their agendas now? I think they are. Um, they certainly are spending a lot more money, and you see that in their request to regulators, you know, in terms of their spending programs. So I think they're trying. I just think it's a tremendously, I think it's an immense problem. Yeah. We're talking with Rebecca Smith of the Wall Street Journal. She is uh, their energy reporter and uh, doing a great job covering the story about the electric uh, grid and utilities across the United States, which are being impacted by attempts of hacking. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. The other parts of the problem here, when you're talking about, Rebecca, the, the state versus the federal, is that 
where a lot of things are concerned in the digital culture today, our federal government is way behind, two years, three years behind, and it's very hard for them to play catch-up right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I think, and we're seeing this, and certainly having a federal shutdown doesn't help. I mean, I've gotten email yeah. today from people saying, you know, that these teams that depart at DHS and some of the other agencies are, you know, they're at half strength right now because of the furlough. Yeah. Uh, what is the expectation then for the energy sector as a whole moving forward, do you think? I think that basically the big utilities that are well-resourced will continue to spend a lot of money on boosting their cyber defenses. I think that's also true of the big grid-running organizations like the New York Independent System Operator and so on. So I think defenses will be pretty good for them. But, but the issue is that we have thousands of utilities in this country, and many of them are tiny. You know, we have little electric power co-ops. Yeah. Um, they don't have the money to spend much. Yeah. And they, so it's going to be very uneven. And, and I would imagine if they don't have the money to spend on themselves to be able to upgrade their security, they certainly don't have the ability to, to help out these contractors who are doing this work for them and help improve their security systems as well. Right. And, of course, in many cases you have, you, you know, utilities own millions of pieces of equipment. Yep. And it has to be updated. Software has to be updated, and they swap things out. So in many cases, technicians have access to these systems. And this is one of the tools that the Russians exploited was they used these so-called jump boxes that allow technicians to log in. They were mm -hmm. getting into those systems that take them directly inside the, the utility control system. And so what are, the, what are these jump boxes then? Well, so you have utilities and most companies have certain systems that face the Internet. Okay. Uh, then they have their other the control systems that purposely are walled off from the Internet, right? Because you don't want bad guys getting in. Yeah. But technicians still need to get in now and then and update things. So these yeah. computers that allow you to connect these two systems are called jump boxes. And if they're not well protected, the analogy we used in the story is that it will allow you to tunnel under the moat and pop up inside the castle walls. And I would imagine when some of this work is being done by those technicians – they're probably doing it on laptops, I would think. Exactly. And, and then again, there's kind of an opening in the wall, just as like you you talk about, to try and get under the moat and get inside the castle. Yes. Yeah. So that's. I mean, I, did, I think there will be more uh, attention paid to these jump boxes and making sure they're they're protected. But again, they exist because you need it to do business. Right. We're joined by Rebecca Smith of the Wall Street Journal. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you're not able to get to your phone, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. The amazing thing to me, Rebecca, is that, as we mentioned before, this is something that I think has kind of been on the mind of a, of a lot of people. And again, it's been at the, the mindset of the larger utilities, but we're talking about, again, kind of circumventing the larger utilities just to kind of stay away from them and be able to hit the midsize ones. So you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're able to do uh, potentially a significant amount of damage by going to the, to the mid-level utility companies. Yeah. Or even the small ones. Yeah. So, you know, we, <clears throat> pardon me, in this story, we focused on one particular chain of attacks that went through organ companies because that's, the information we had. 
I think it's very likely there are similar clusters all over the country that we don't know anything about at this point. Right. So one of the things, of course, as reporters were hoping is that, um, you know, once the story's out there, other people who have awareness of this, firsthand knowledge, will share information they have people working within the utilities or in some of these contracting companies. I would imagine that that, that information may be shared already within the industry. But again, you're, I think you're talking about sending some of this information out to the general public to make the, the public as a whole aware of what is going on. Yeah, we think this is so important to us that people, that the public has a right to know what's happening. 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Do, do you think that there is a, a, hopefully a path where the federal government will step in, especially with the potential of, of the work that they do with the larger uh, utility companies, but for them to, to want to step in, even with some of the, the smaller and mid-sized utilities? I think I think the federal government is trying to do more, but I'll tell you, it, it's odd. They're, they're oddly hamstrung, and here's why. Right now, when the utility industry creates standards or, you know, uh, rules for itself, it goes through an industry-controlled organization called NERC, the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, right. and it it concocts the rules. And these rules, that organization is dominated by the utilities. So if they want a rule, it gets created. If they don't want a rule, they can block it. Yeah. And the actual federal regulatory agency that's, that oversees this cannot write rules. So it's an odd setup. So there is a little bit of, uh, <laughs> of extreme control being put into play here by the utilities to, to get what they want, whichever way they're going. And yes. Um, I mean, this is a system that was set up by Congress after the big blackout in 1965. Yeah. At that point, they said, we need some kind of rules for the industry. It can't completely self-regulate. Um, and they came up with this system that's been changed somewhat over the years, but it still allows, this is still basically self-regulation. Rebecca, so, th- you know, there may be something better needed. Rebecca, thank you very much for your time today. Greatly appreciate the insight and uh, great job on the reporting. Thanks. It's been great talking to you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.